This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, June 5th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, GM makes a couple of billion dollar investments. Toyota announces its next hydrogen car. And NHTSA wants automakers to make standard braking tech better. Plus, our next energy CEO, Mujib Ijaz, joins the show to talk about the battery manufacturer's first product shipments and its plan for ambitious but disciplined growth. I'm looking at growth as let's make sure that we understand how to localize our own cell production. Then let's make sure we have a supply chain that's building around it. Then let's accelerate the market. So we decided commercial truck, then utility grid storage, and then automotive would be the right logical progression of the market. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. General Motors says it will spend more than a billion dollars to upgrade two plants in Flint, Michigan in preparation for the next generation of its heavy-duty pickups. GM said Flint Assembly will receive almost $800 million to build the redesigned Chevrolet Silverado HD and GMC Sierra HD. The money will go toward expanding the body shop and General Assembly conveyor, as well as new tooling. The automaker's Flint Metal Center, which produces sheet metal stampings, will receive more than $200 million toward new stamping dies, press improvements, and other equipment. GM did not disclose details about the next-generation trucks or say when they would go on sale. That announcement comes just after GM and South Korea's Posco Future M said they'll invest more to expand the production capacity at their battery materials facility in Canada. That move takes their estimated total investment in the plant to over $1 billion. The companies say the new investment in their Ultium CAM plant will be used to set up additional facilities for local on-site processing of critical minerals used in EV batteries. The plant is expected to start operating in 2025. The companies had invested about $330 million in the plant last year. Toyota is rolling out its next hydrogen fuel cell passenger car this year. It's a bid to more than double its global sales of the zero-emissions technology in the fiscal year. Instead of making it on another dedicated nameplate like the Mirai, Toyota will offer the hydrogen drivetrain as an option in the upcoming Crown sedan when it hits the market in Japan this fall. Toyota has no plans as of now to sell the hydrogen variant in the U.S., but a pre-production prototype of the fuel cell Crown, which was recently on display at Fuji Speedway, was a left-hand drive model. That hints that the car is headed for some overseas markets in addition to Japan. And the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is proposing a rule that would mandate automatic emergency braking on all new light-duty vehicles. That includes pedestrian detection. For years, automakers have voluntarily equipped most new passenger cars and trucks with technology that can stop or slow a vehicle to prevent a collision. If the proposal is adopted, Nearly all U.S. passenger cars and trucks would be required to have crash avoidance technology that meets a number of performance standards three years after the rule is finalized. 
the agency's ultimate requirements would take effect the following year. If finalized, NHTSA projects the proposed rule would prevent at least 360 deaths and reduce injuries on U.S. roads by at least 24,000 every year. The agency also estimates it would cost automakers about $280 million a year across the entire vehicle fleet, or about $82 per vehicle for each design cycle change. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, what are your thoughts on Toyota rolling out this hydrogen fuel cell car? Do you think consumers want this? You know, that's a tough one. It's not really a lot of consumer demand uh, for these vehicles. They're you know really expensive to make. Uh, the fueling availability is very limited, but it's it's sort of a chicken and egg thing. There's there's not very much demand because you can't fill them up. You know, outside of a few spots in you know Southern California mostly. But Toyota and other companies are working on heavy trucks that are powered by hydrogen. That seems to be a good application of the technology. And they're looking at putting hydrogen filling stations along the major highways, major interstates, so that it will power the heavy trucks. Once you've got that in place, maybe it's not such a bad bet for people to have it in a car where you can fill up. It tends to be pretty affordable. Uh, it's very clean and it's interesting technology. But this is a company that's investing ahead of consumer demand for sure. Interesting. Coming up, EV battery startup Our Next Energy is on a steep growth path, but its CEO says it's important not to move too fast. Mujib Ijaz joins us next on Daily Drive. Longtime listener of AM Radio, we at Automotive News want to hear from you. We're currently taking audio submissions for an upcoming LinkedIn Live where you, the listener, can tell us why you love AM Radio in your car, how long you've been tuning in, and if you're for or against it being completely wiped out from new vehicles in the future. Legislators have recently introduced a bill that would require AM Radio to remain in vehicles to ensure access to emergency alerts. But automakers are dumping the radio as they face pressure to eliminate costs, reduce complexity, and increase EV efficiency. Please record a voice note and send all audio submissions to ansocial at crane.com. Please be sure to include your first and last name and what location you're calling from. Again, send those to ansocial at crane.com. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process steel jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. 
Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Late last month, electric vehicle battery startup Our Next Energy, or ONE, shipped the first of its Aries lithium-ion phosphate battery packs for use in commercial trucks. It's an important step toward ONE's big growth goals as it ramps up construction of a $1.6 billion EV battery cell plant in a Detroit suburb. Last week, our own Jake Neer caught up with Our Next Energy CEO, Mujib Ijaz, at the Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island, Michigan. They talked about one's growth, the changing landscape for powering electric vehicles, and more. Mujib Ijaz, thank you so much for joining us on Daily Drive again. Great to be with you, Jake. So uh, the last time that you were on the show, it was just as you were announcing your new production facility. The Inflation Reduction Act had just been signed into law. I'm curious, how have things been going since then and how has production gone ramping up operations? Very good. So uh, on the Gigafactory for cell manufacturing, we've been able to take possession of the building. We've been able to pour concrete. We're now uh, building the interior of the building. Uh, We also will land our first equipment in about two months. Mm. And by the end of this year, our goal is to have a microcosm of that factory running as a way to do workforce training and development. Where We're actually building cells here in Michigan that will go into prototypes that will allow us to start developing and testing. Mm. And you you just started shipping batteries to customers. Was it last week? Yeah, that's right. So our first uh, launch of a production product called Ares, uh, that's a battery pack for commercial truck. Uh, we're doing in partnership with the Piston Group, they're our manufacturing partner. Uh, we just started making revenue uh, products. It's exciting for a startup to transition from pre-revenue to revenue. And uh, this will be the first quarter that we'll book uh, sales and revenue. Wow, and so tell me a little bit about that partnership with Piston Automotive. How does that partnership work? Yeah, so we design and develop a battery product and uh, we work with them to establish the manufacturing line and then they operate the line. They bring the quality supply chain, uh, all of the EMS tracking. Basically, they operate the manufacturing line. They implement the factory automation, the robotic equipment. And uh, to our requirements, they are a great partner to help us establish a high quality manufacturing process for batteries. So what's the next big step in ramping up operations at this point? I think it's really the cell factory. It's, mm-hmm. it's being able to bring the equipment into the cell factory, start developing its operation, focusing a lot on supply chain of all the materials that have to come in to the factory, establishing our own processes internally. I think uh, getting that factory to first create cells by the end of this year is a good marker. Then we have a full year of implementing the production equipment before we start ramping into gigafactory level scale. I want to talk about your current products. Uh, Your batteries currently use cells that are sourced in China. When do you anticipate at this point making your own cells in the U.S.? And what are sort of the obstacles to that? Yeah, end of next year is our launch date for um, all of our uh, cell products coming out of this gigafactory in Van Buren, uh, Michigan. Uh, So that would be the beginning of us making cells here in the United States. Um, As we have been relying on a supply chain for raw materials and cells abroad, Our goal then is to start transitioning to a US made, a Michigan made cell. And then as much as we can attract the supply chain around this gigafactory in Metro Detroit or in the region, uh, we're gonna do that. Um, Graphite, uh, iron phosphate, the cathode material fabrication process, 
North America at a minimum, but U.S. is a preferred. Sure. What is the limiting factor for your growth at this point? Is it access to capital, finding skilled workers, something else? I think it's um, it's probably a self-regulation of growing at the right pace to make sure that we have stable footing. Mm. It's sort of like the idea that you pour concrete, you need to wait till it dries before you pour another layer. And I think if, if I'm um, really thinking about the, the obstacles to growth, it is to be sure that we're on a stable next foundation before we try to pour on top. Because otherwise we could end up with um, costly and difficult to ever recover from reputational mistakes. And so I'm looking at growth as let's make sure that we understand how to localize our own cell production. Then let's make sure we have a supply chain that's building around it. Then let's accelerate the market. So we decided commercial truck, then utility grid storage, and then automotive mm. would be the right logical progression of the market. Is that difficult in this moment where there's so much investment coming in and it's sort of a, you know, I think a lot of companies are seeing this as like, we have a small window to spend a lot of money and, you know, really grow right now because of what's out there. Yeah. Um, you know, is does that present kind of a challenge? I think that we're in a marathon. Mm -hmm. And if we if we try to anticipate this as a sprint and then we make the costly mistake of not being um, in the right condition to really for the long haul, um, that's what I'm trying to avoid. And mm. I've seen that. I've seen a lot of um, investment strategies where companies promise massive hockey stick growth. Um, we are also in a very high growth setting. And I would say that it's not that our growth is slow for sure. We're from the announcement of the Gigafactory to the operation is a two year window. Um, that's pretty fast. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're thinking every year after that, we'll more than double capacity year over year. So that is our growth path. But I don't want to go faster than that. Sure. Meaning that I don't want to announce that we're going to do like 50 gigawatt hours on day one and then have 50 gigawatt hours worth of messes and mistakes to clean up. I'd rather logically grow. And what we're doing is we're doing something called a mega factory at the end of this year, then a gigafactory at the end of next year and then doubling and more than doubling that gigafactory year over year, that will help us with the logical transition from where we were as a startup to then being a manufacturer. That will also breed and bring confidence from our customers. I think our customers like that story. I mean, many of the major automotive companies prefer hearing that story than the one that looks like a dream that we're gonna go hockey stick big, and right. then we end up faltering in that kind of effort. With the support of the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as with from states and other government investment, is the U.S. sort of the low cost location for the global EV battery production industry at this point? Yeah, I think the Inflation Reduction Act did an important um, job in leveling the playing field. I don't think it went too far and I think it went far enough, meaning I think the skill at which all of the Inflation Reduction Act parameters were set, pack uh, offset, sell offset, electrode offset, and then investment tax credits to those end users that would benefit and say stationary storage have made the value proposition compelling to source batteries here in North America. Now, companies like one are standing up and customers that need those benefits are standing up and standing with um, young companies. Standing with a young company is an important idea because if you think about bankability, you're, you need a customer that's very substantial for an investor to give you the kind of money you need to grow a factory. Uh, that, that customer doesn't usually partner with a young startup. The Inflation Reduction Act is not just motivated the economics to be right, 
but they've given the motivation for companies to start partnering in this sort of scale up of localizing a, a supply chain. And I think it's actually a pretty solid example of when the government decides to do something, they will come together and make logical provisions necessary for growth in a sector. I think this is bipartisan, even though maybe the numbers show some split. I think the true heart and soul of our leaders and our policymakers around energy security and transition to this electrification moment for stationary and transportation, it, I think it's much greater than the numbers show on the board. Um, and I think people are really behind this idea. And, I mean, and and you had people vote against uh, the bill who are now taking a lot of credit for, for some of those yeah. investments. Sometimes so. you vote against a bill because you know your vote won't matter. Right. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and therefore you can stay the party course if not uh, secretly support it. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I mean, ultimately, I think the legislation has borne out a great tool for industry and supply chain development. And we're benefiting from that, but I think actually it takes a lot of hard work on everyone's part to make this transition happen. It's policy, it's public-private partnership, it's industry uh, coming up with ways to lead, it's workforce development, it's training, it's all the workers coming together and deciding that they're gonna invest time in learning a new set of skills around battery factories. I think it's all pretty exciting to watch this with a front row seat. So, well, the government is investing a lot of money right now. There has been, it seems, a leveling off from uh, venture capital in innovation and tech companies right now. How are you interpreting that and how is it affecting you, if at all? Yeah, I think that venture capital has leveled off. I think the SPAC process of two to three years ago has caused a ripple that will cause a slowdown in venture capital pouring into these efforts. But growth capital is a slightly different type of capital, and it looks for maturity at sufficient levels to prove that you've de-risked the science and you're into scaling to a market. Mm. Now, that means if you get a customer, you get a bankable contract, and the necessary capital that's required to build a factory is what's in the way, growth capital will come to that point. And energy transition, as I've talked to many growth capital investors, they think of that as the inevitable future of where things are going. So therefore, they like to invest in that. And there are not so many players that have stood up operations that can be scaled. So I think we're in the lucky category of being investable. Um, venture capital is an important tool at helping a company lift up its message. But then it's really growth capital that's the long-term future of it. Mm. I did want to get your opinion on a recent news story, Ford joining Tesla's charging network. Um, I'm just curious what you think of what that means for the global standard and um, how you see that sort of playing out. Well, I think it's a smart idea to allow customers the best and maximum access to um, adoption. It's really charging infrastructure security and if you're you know, driving and you have many more choices, that should enable a much easier decision to adopt. Um, I think the charging infrastructure that is being put in is growing rapidly, but probably not quite at the pace that everyone sees it as ubiquitous. And therefore, you know, if you see a gas station on every corner, every single time you're at a stoplight, you're very convinced that gasoline is not gonna be a problem to get. <laughs> right. But in charging infrastructure world, it's not quite that way. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's smart, it's a, it's a very smart move. So I applaud it. It also shows collaboration in the industry. I think that's also supportive of the idea that this is an energy transition. We should help each other. We should act like 
stepping up this ladder is something that if we all do it together, we'll actually win together. And as opposed to it being one has to win and winner take all. Do you think that it's a problem if it doesn't eventually standardize though? I mean, is it having competing uh, charging um, networks basically, does that create more problems down the road? Yeah, I think it is more complicated for uh, the consumer base if it doesn't standardize. And right now what everyone's doing is coming up with a little adapter so yeah. that your car is full of like little, uh, they call them dongles. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's not much different than having the, you know, um, let's call it the Apple culture of MacBook mm. versus uh, other devices where you have to deal with charging infrastructure and the difference in adapters not all fitting. And we still deal with that, like mm. even if it's a 25 year mature industry, we constantly have that topic of the adaptability of infrastructure. I think it would be smarter to sort of centralize standards more quickly. And therefore, I do think that, you know, collaboration and making it easier on the consumer, making that adoption more logical and like seamless is a better idea. And I hope that it does get converged. I have many different electric cars and I'd tell you that is one of my concerns is mm -hmm. that charging infrastructure is not keeping up at the same pace across all brands and all types. And I certainly would love it if it was more uniform. That's true. Muji by Jazz, thank you so much for joining us on Daily Drive again. It's great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you, Jake. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to automotive news journalists Lindsay Van Hulley, Hans Grimel, and Aji LaForest for their reporting on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on EV battery manufacturing, new assembly investments, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Bridgewater Interior CEO, Ron Hall. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.